I'm Zach Yonta with Yonta Ranches in Rungi, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. This is Texas Ag Today, the number one source for the latest news in Texas agriculture. The largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State covers it all. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Here's today's top stories. For Texas High Plains cattle raisers who are looking at rebuilding their herds, replacement heifers are a major investment. I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll have some thoughts about making that investment pay off. The latest in precision agriculture for Texas corn, cotton, and soybean farmers. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have more straight ahead on Texas Ag Today. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. Winter has snuck into extreme South Texas, and most ag work is now put on hold. We'll have those stories and more in today's report. Now, here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Why don't you jump on in with me and buckle up? We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. Be sure to hold on tight because it all starts right now. I'm headed to Orlando, Florida this week, along with cattle producers from all over Texas for what we used to call the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show. Kristen Torres is Director of Meetings and Events for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. She says the meeting's name has had a slight change. It's now called CattleCon. Yes, it was a hashtag, um, and we found that people were actually calling it that. And CattleCon actually became um, a lot easier um, on the branding side of things, it kind of rolls off the tongue a little bit easier than Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show. So same event, same groups um, as a part of the event, but really just wanted to come up with a name that's um, easy for folks to remember, rolls off the tongue, and it is still the official hashtag. Torres says there will be educational events happening throughout the week. We actually took Cattlemen's College programming that was originally kind of on the front end of the convention, and it's now actually woven throughout the entire event. So each and every day, folks will be able to attend education sessions. And then we also put a Cattlemen's College classroom actually on the trade show floor. So they'll have sessions down there. They'll have sessions in the meeting rooms as well. And um, by our registration numbers, a lot of folks are uh, responding well to that. They're very um, interested in having a little bit more uh, education offerings each day. And as usual, there will be a massive trade show. The trade show will be bustling again this year. Um, We have eight and a half acres of exhibit space. We have over 350 companies that will be exhibiting there. Um, Anything that producers need for their operations, pharmaceuticals, equipment, fencing supplies, we even have a retail shopping area. And the trade show is more than just a trade show. Um, We try to make it the whole thing an experience. So we have education offerings happening on the show floor. As I mentioned, the Cattlemen's College sessions will be there. We also have two other classroom areas on the show floor 
that are filled with education every day. And then we have the stockmanship and stewardship demonstration arena. And um, we bring in live cattle and we do low stress cattle handling sessions there. Um, we also have receptions in the trade show every day. That's Kristen Torres, Director of Meetings and Events for the NCBA. CattleCon will run through Friday. Replacement heifers are a major investment for Texas cattle producers looking to rebuild their herds. James Hunt has some thoughts on making that investment pay off. A lot of Texas High Plains livestock producers are strategizing right now about rebuilding their herds after drought forced significant culling in recent years. One operation that is pushing ahead with regrowing their numbers is the Blue Ranch Division of McLeod Farms located south of Dumas. I had a chance to visit with Mike Turner, the manager of the Blue Ranch Division, at an AgriLife meeting in Dumas. Turner says longevity is the key to making the investment of buying replacement heifers pay off. These females have got to not only get through their heifer year and uh, raise that first calf, but they've got to breed back every year to stay in our herd. For profitability, they've got to stay in there for a minimum of five to six years. And we try to get that out of our females, and that didn't always work that way. But uh, for the most part, that's where our profitability is going to be in is longevity in that cow herd and good genetics. We want to introduce more good genetics that will complement the ones that we have already. Looking at what's ahead for cow-calf producers in the next several years, Turner sees reason to be optimistic but also vigilant. I think there's a lot of opportunities out there. I think with our cow herd being as low as it is for different producers to get their numbers up, but also for uh, being able to market a product that's viable. The problem that we're going to run into, though, is if, if cattle get too high, the American consumer is going to come to a point where they've got to find a different protein source. And we're starting to see some of that right now. And, and uh, the biggest thing is we've got to stay fair and competitive with other sources of protein that are out there. And, and cattle are by far one of the hardest ones to produce and longest term to produce. But from a protein standpoint, there's going to be more benefits versus some of the other proteins that are out there. That's Mike Turner with the Blue Ranch Division of McLeod Farms. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Precision agriculture technology continues to improve. Tom Nicoletti has the story. My guest today is Andy Folta. He is U.S. Product Marketing Manager for Climate Field View, which is all part of uh, Bear Crop Science. And uh, Andy, uh, what is the latest on uh, this technology, uh, Climate uh, Field View, for uh, farmers? In that role, I really focus all my time on understanding customer needs and then relating those back to the product and engineering team to develop new tools and capabilities. And when I think about Texas agriculture, really what we're working on in 24 is expanding our reporting capabilities, our yield analysis capabilities, and then also our equipment compatibility. So we think about, you know, Climate Field View and Bayer Crop Science, large corn and soybean company. We also have a really big focus on our cotton customers. So we're expanding our equipment compatibility as well as our reporting tools for corn, soy, cotton, and even specialty crops. So when I look from 23 into 24, you're going to see us expand reporting for, you know, hybrid yield, variety, population trials, all those types of things, but also for crop protection reporting. So you can collect data. You can visualize that data for whether it's planting, application, or harvest. But then you can also go in there and start to do some analysis and some ROI discovery. Not necessarily always around product versus product, but also practice against practice. So we can go in and draw a field region report, one of our flagship capabilities where you can draw that circle, 
polygon, rectangle, whatever it is, and then spit out a report that'll show what was my best hybrid, my best population, my best planting date, and also my best crop protection product. We can also delineate applied area versus unapplied area. So I can start to see, you know, a specific fungicide or insecticide out yielded the untreated check area by 30 bushel. So I might start to make some in-season decisions on what I'm going to do for next year. That is Andy Folta with Bear Crop Science. I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Winter finally made its way down to deep south Texas. Jim Hearn has this update from the Rio Grande Valley. Since our last report, we've had two Arctic fronts that have pushed through extreme south Texas, and they've dropped temperatures into the mid-20s into the ranch country, but generally 28 and higher elsewhere. Damage? Well, it should be minimal since citrus can take those kind of temperatures without any type of damage to the fruit or the trees. The fronts also carried some moisture with it, so that dryland acres got a fair amount of moisture for planting, and that's just ahead. Now, most of the field work has been put on hold for now. Our citrus harvest and sugarcane harvest are continuing once we get these fields dried up. The cool temperatures have caused soil temperatures to drop. With more favorable temperatures on the horizon, though, soil temperatures should be warming up rapidly. The biggest impact of the cold weather was to the impact of sea turtles. Now, we don't really talk about sea turtles that much, but they were caught off guard by this dropping temperature that, well, brought hypothermia to set in. And about six to 700 turtles were picked up by volunteers and Sea Turtle Incorporated for rehabilitation. Turtles were brought in and they were placed on heating pads to warm them back up. And many of those now have already been released. Well, valley producers should be planting by mid-February corn, milo, and cotton, starting in that order. Vegetables and citrus and sugarcane, that harvest will continue. For Texas Ag Today, this is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. Several Texans are questioning the size and the purpose of chronic wasting disease surveillance and containment zones in Texas. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And horses' eyes are more susceptible to injury than the eyes of many other animals. Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up. These stories plus a look at the markets are straight ahead on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau Insurance has protected fellow Texans with auto, home, health, and life insurance since 1952. With more than 260,000 square miles of land and 27 million people, that's a lot to cover. Whether you're wrangling cattle or wrangling kids, we're proud to protect Texans in all Texan ways of life. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to get insurance for Texans by Texans. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're bringing you the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Horses' eyes are more susceptible to injury than the eyes of many other animals. Dr. Bob Judd looks at some of those eye issues and their treatment. There are some new treatments being used for equine eyes. One of the most common and serious eye problems is recurrent uveitis. 
and there are multiple causes of this disease. Appaloosas are predisposed to this disease, and the disease is difficult to treat with topical and systemic medications and can be very painful. A new study reveals treatment of the condition can be accomplished by injecting a low dose of the antibiotic gentamicin in the back of the eyeball. Dr. Megan Cullen from Kansas State indicates in the Horse publication that this can reduce recurrence of the condition. The treatment is obviously delicate and should be performed by a board-certified veterinary ophthalmologist. Another new treatment is laser cytophotocoagulation for glaucoma in horses. Glaucoma occurs when there is increased fluid pressure inside the eye and can lead to blindness, and this new procedure targets and destroys the ciliary body epithelium that produces the fluid inside the eye. Destroying this tissue leads to decreased aqueous humor fluid production inside the eye, which leads to less fluid inside the eye and a decrease in ocular pain. Glaucoma in horses is difficult to treat medically as topical treatments are required multiple times a day and some horses do not like having medications placed in their eye. Another common ocular disease is cancer around the eye, and that is usually caused by squamous cell carcinoma, and this is the same type of cancer that causes cancer eye in cattle. Surgery has been used, but some lesions around the eye cannot be removed due to the location. Photodynamic therapy with a laser is used to kill remaining cancer tissue after surgery has removed as much of the cancer as possible. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Several Texans are questioning the size and purpose of chronic wasting disease surveillance and containment zones. Jessica Domel has more in today's Wildlife Report. Several members of the public and several people on the Parks and Wildlife Commission are questioning the creation and size of chronic wasting disease containment and surveillance zones and their impact on deer breeders, hunters, and landowners. At the most recent Parks and Wildlife Commission hearing, Vice Chairman Oliver Bell voiced his concerns. It seems like our zones are just, it strikes me from a common sense perspective, they strike me as being too large and that we're having maybe some additional negative impact that we maybe shouldn't have. We do need to have some type of containment, but can we shrink that? When I look down, I see sometimes how much acreage is impacted or how many landowners are impacted. It kind of sends a shiver down my spine. I don't want to use the term chilling, but it has a chilling effect, right? And I can see where we're being well-intentioned though we're creating adversaries of folks that should be our friends and who should understand that we're trying to look out for their interests and maybe we need to repackage how we present protection. Alan Kane, TPWD's Big Game Program Director, told the commission that a two-mile surveillance zone is established around deer breeding facilities when the neurological deer disease is detected there. A five-mile zone is established around an area when CWD is detected in a free-ranging deer. A little over a year ago when we had the detection in uh, Duval County, actually been a couple of years, we started out with a much larger zone there and at the direction of the commission we ended up shrinking those down to just a two mile zone to really focus the zone size to reduce the impact on landowners but focus our surveillance and sampling effort right around where that positive detection occurred. So we've made some advances trying to shrink the zones. In the context of places like Coleman County, for example, when we established the zone, because we have a containment and surveillance zone both there, and that's a much larger zone than some of these 
the surveillance zones where it's only in a captive facility. Those are based on, in part, the biology of the animal. So, for example, we put a five-mile buffer around where that pause is located, that free-range pause is located, and that's, you know, the average dispersal rate of like a yearling buck. And so if you had deer right around where that posit is, they might disperse out five miles from there. And so that gives us some idea if there's pause in there, we're kind of got them contained or they're in this general area. And so that's the, why we put that size in is based on the biology, the movement of the deer. And then we try to put a surveillance zone around that snap to roads or rivers or some definable feature that's easy for hunters to understand. Tan explained that some of the new zones that were established at the meeting included more acreage than others because zones include all properties wholly or partially within the two or five mile area from the CWD positive deer. Several associations also voiced their support and opposition to the zones. We'll have more on that on our next show. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. We'll check the markets coming up next on Texas Ag Today. National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Grant Norfleet from Missouri. What better way to show your support of FFA than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. Now back to more Texas Ag Today. The cattle complex traded higher on Tuesday. Live cattle were higher as the market is focused on this week's U.S. cattle inventory report. We can expect that from USDA on Wednesday. Analysts expect the report to show fewer beef cows and continued liquidation. February live cattle up 65 cents to 178.02. April live cattle up 52 cents to 181.75. June live cattle up 75 cents to 179.22. Despite corn trading higher, feeder cattle also traded higher Tuesday. March feeder cattle up $2.70 to 241.32. April feeder cattle up $2.40 to 247. May feeder cattle up $2.17 to 252.22. Box beef was mixed, choice down 96 cents to $298.46. Select up 38 cents to $289.20. Now let's check those livestock auctions. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Riley Rhodes, Live Oak Livestock Three Rivers, sold a Monday. Riley, it looked like you had a bunch of cattle, and it went a little late. It sure did, Larry. I ended up with a really good run. The uh, market was real good. A good day all the way around. Ended up with 3,112 head. Had those wean calves there. We had a little bit of, I guess, a little over 1,500 of the wean calves and yearlings. They sold real well. I thought probably brought 10 to 15 cent premium over the regular market. But cow market was a little better, and so it uh, was just a good day all the way around. We did have a few pairs uh, yesterday, 1150 up 2000 Some bred cows from 950 up to 1450 They put some more money on packer cows and bulls this week. Your high-yielding cows, 108 to 118. Your breakers, 102 to 112. Canners, 74 to 92. Your high-yielding packer bulls, 126 to 132. Low to medium-yielding bulls, 108 to 126. Calf market, uh, like I said, um, still gaining strength each week. Two to three weight choice steers, 318 to 382. 
Heifer mates 296 to 324. Three to four weight choice steers 320 to 384. Heifer mates 296 to 330. Four to five weight choice steers 288 to 340. Heifer mates 250 to 294. Five to six weight choice steers 258 up to 298. Heifer mates 228 to 262. The six to seven weight choice steers 238 to 286. Heifer mates 228 to 250. And the seven to eight weight cattle, your choice steers 212 to 248. And your heifer mates 216 to 240. So real pleased with it yesterday. Uh, had some good volume and a good market test. Lots of buyers there yesterday. Lots of interest and a uh, good strong market. Good. We'll tell everybody how to get a hold of you for the next week's sale. 361-786-2553 is the office. Uh, 361-813-6650 is the sale. Uh, webpage is Neighbor, that's it for this edition of Walking the Pens. Thanks for listening to us here on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, and you're doing so right now on Texas Ag Today. Lean hogs also traded higher on Tuesday. February lean hogs up 57 cents to 75.85. April lean hogs up $1.47 to 84.90. January class 3 milk fell 2 cents to 15.20 a hundred weight. February class 3 milk fell 0.25 cents to 16.21 a hundred weight. Cotton was higher Tuesday, supported by outside markets. March cotton up 52 points to 84.78. May cotton up 49 points to 86.06. December cotton up 22 points to 81.27. By the way, the cotton market is awaiting the release of information following the Federal Reserve's meetings Tuesday and Wednesday. We will see an export sales report from USDA on Thursday, and we are expecting a jobs report on Friday all of which may impact cotton trade. Corn traded higher on Tuesday after falling overnight Monday below the $4.40 bushel mark. March corn up seven and a half to 4.47 and three quarters. May corn up eight and a quarter to 4.58 and three quarters. March hard red wheat up 12 and a half to 6.30 and three quarters. May hard red wheat up 10 and a half to 6.28 and three quarters. March natural gas up three cents Tuesday to 208. April natural gas up a penny to 210. March crude oil up a dollar and one cent to 77.79. April crude oil up 95 cents to 77.62 a barrel. The Dow was up 127 points Tuesday to 38,461. The S&P 500 was up 0.6 points to 4,928. The Nasdaq fell 104 points to 15,524. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. We hope you join us next time for the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I hope to see you then. Thanks for joining us for Texas Ag Today. Be sure to follow the Texas Ag Today podcast, found wherever you listen to podcasts. For more Texas farm and ranch news, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.